The Great Divide was inspired by the experience of recent immigrants to the United States from Russia and other oppressed countries and their experience in the sweatshop industry and how they came to suffer and die in a sweatshop in a horrific uh, factory fire that killed 146 people, 130 of which were young women, um, and almost all of them were immigrants from oppressed countries. They worked in, to unionize and improve safety regulations, and that's one of the reasons why the story is so profound, because they, they saw some of the challenges and then it ended up contributing to their deaths. It's got a lot of contemporary resonance. And the first thing I thought of was the, the garment factory in, in Pakistan, I think it was, where young women, yeah. and predominantly women, and young women died in terrible circumstances like, like yeah. you describe in the play. So you mean it to have those resonances, don't you? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, I was very inspired by the story, um, the this story in particular, when I went to the... Uh, there's a museum in New York in lower, on the Lower East Side called the Tenement Museum, Oh, I've been there. It's sweet. It's just really like bare bones. They just show you around an old tenement and they mm. told us this story. And so I was really intrigued and I bought the book and I was writing the play and I just kept thinking, well, you know, there's sometimes these plays are hard sells. They're period and they're a story over 100 years old. And then every time I was wondering whether it's something I should write, something awful happened. Mm. Um, and I thought, no, this is still so relevant. And it resonates in the play that it, it happens over and over again and it's sort of in line with this idea of we have to tell the story over and mm. over again because the story never ends. So, yeah, it, it definitely, I think I think it resonates without having to be explicitly said. I think everyone will make that connection. Mm. And sometimes looking at something from further away, it, it's clearer than when we're faced up close with it. So that's why I wanted to tell this particular story. Yeah, and also, of course, the young women and their families are refugees, and we are yeah. in the middle of a refugee crisis, the exactly. like of which we've probably never seen. So we're not just telling a Jewish story here, obviously. No, no, not at all. I mean, it is a Jewish story, but it's not mm. only a Jewish story. And, and I think that um, it's a refugee story, it's an immig immigrant mm. story, and I think that, you know, especially in the United States and, and is in England right now, there's such fear of immigration and such a, a reluctance in some ways to let immigrants in and there have been immigrants immigration has been so vital to both of our countries and in terms of its development and my my grandparents were immigrants to the united states and the united states would be nothing without its immigrants so i i focus on this one aspect of it it's something i'm familiar with it's something that drew me in a little bit as a as a writer but it's i think it's a really universal story and i hope that a lot of people will relate to it because of that yeah the other thing is although there are men in the story it's sort of a woman's story i think what, what yeah. Do you, would you agree? Uh, well, I think we get caught up in, in identifying when stories are women's stories and when stories are men's stories. I mean, yes, I would. I agree. A lot of my writing is feminist. Um, this is a particularly specific story about what what's now being called industrial feminism at the turn of the century. And I think that that's really great. And I embrace that. Um, but sometimes I worry that if you say, if you identify something as a woman's story, men will think there's nothing in it for them. And I think that women are the protagonists is a story in particular about women. And the reason it's important we tell it is because women are often erased from the history books. So when we, when we learn about the labor movements, so rarely are women's contributions counted, you know, and, and it's only recently that they're really looking back and saying, this was a, a, a movement largely driven by women and immigrants and, and 
and that's a valuable story to tell. So yeah, I think that it's it's definitely feminist themed, but I do think that it will be universal for men and women to watch it because they'll the the contributions are so essential to our everyday lives. Yeah, I suppose the reason I say that is that your two central characters are women. The men are just yes. very slightly less central. Um, also, the, most of the workers in the factory are women, right. and they're the ones that suffer the most. Um, and also, your real character, I'm enchanted by Clara. Clara Lemley. So this is a real character, and it is wonderful yeah. to have a real character in the middle of all this, especially <laughs> someone as feisty. And so you've obviously researched her. So she's this tiny little woman, and she's Jewish, yeah. she's Jewish as well, is she or not? Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, she was a, a just a remarkable person. Someday I'll write a movie or something about her because I just think she's she's just one of those people you just can't believe. She was 21 years old and and a huge player in the labor movement. She was a tiny little person who stood up to she was beaten up. The factory bosses sent a prize fighter to actually beat her up and um, they they beat her a tiny little woman on the street and she was back on the picket line a few days later and um, and just as such so brave and, and then got married and this isn't in the play but I did a lot of research on her and she got married and moved out to Queens and was a housewife but um, but began organizing the housewives in the area mm. and developed rent strikes and food strikes and all this stuff to like uh, this whole new brand of domestic feminism, and then, and my favorite story about Clara Lemlich is what is when she was um, old and moved into the the Jewish home for the aged in El California, where she ended up living. She organized the orderlies at her Ill old age home in her 90s. So she's just so committed to the movement and mm. and just an incredible person and and just ideologically fierce, you know. So and she was an immigrant. She had come from 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 Russia. She had, was self educated just phenomenal human being. Yeah, well, I, I, I really look forward to the movie and I'm trying to just think now, who could play her? Who could play her? Now, let's, yeah. let, let's look at your storytelling and I'm trying, or, or obviously, to imagine it, as I said, on, on stage at, at the Fimbra. You go in for this really beautiful, we used to call it poor theatre, this idea that you're very specifically saying there's only a certain number of actors um, and yes. they are going to play more than one part. You're, you're not looking for a cast of thousands or even a cast of enough people to play one part each. So that's obviously a very important part of your storytelling to keep, yes. it, to keep it intimate, tight. But there's also, um, it, you know, again, and the other old chestnut brechtian, but it is sort of because you're telling this story from the beginning. I can't, don't have to say spoiler alert because there's, the whole play is one big spoiler anyway, isn't it? I mean, we know the end yeah. before the beginning. It's just we need to meet these women and give them faces. Is that right, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that it's this thing where every time you try to go back to the beginning, you have to go further and further back. Or you can start yesterday and tell the same story. So the director, Rory, and I were talking about how really, in a way, they could start the story tomorrow in Indonesia, and mm. it would be a very similar story, or they could start it in England, or they could start it in Mexico, but they choose Russia, right? So mm. so in this, this is that story. And I think that in a lot of ways, this play is as much about theater and and the stories that we as a as a society collectively remember as anything else, because um, like I said, this was an under underrepresented story until recent years. People didn't know the story of the triangle waste shirt factory. They didn't, they didn't understand the contributions that these immigrants and women made to, to our 40 hour work week and our weekends, you know, and, and safety regulations. And so 
I'm tr- I'm almost trying to introduce the notion of ritual, mm, the ritual yes. storytelling into our society because that's a huge part of, of Judaism. You know, ritual storytelling is what it basically all is, and and it's a huge part of theater. We tell the same Shakespearean stories over and over and again. The Greeks are re- re- revisited, so so I think that. Um, it, it, the play is making a comment on what stories we choose to celebrate and, and that that becomes a very central question near the end of the play of because the characters become aware of certain things about themselves as character, as characters on a stage. And so um, I think it is very Brechtian in that way. It calls attention to itself as a play. And I think that there's this notion of like poverty that we sometimes avoid on stage. And I think that this play can be told you could tell it in, on a huge, you know, I'm, I'm willing to transfer to the national if they want it. <laughs> Hope they're listening. <laughs> but I mean, it can be told in a little tiny mm. room, you know? So it's, I think it, like I, in this particular play, I really tried to build something that anyone could pick up and tell, you mm. know? Um, you don't have to have a, a budget of millions. And there's something about that that's sort of like equitable in terms of storytelling. Yeah, we talked about, you know, Jewish ritual and beautifully but also terribly in a way. You started with the ritual of Havdalah, which is to do with fire, um, right. lighting fire, extinguishing fire, and you end it with that as well. So you're yes. placing it firmly in the Jewish world, and, and also because the whole point of Havdalah is the separation of the holy day of Shabbat from the rest of the week. So it's really resonant with your theme of these women who are not getting days off, and then they're fighting for the one day off, and, and, and eventually... We'll we'll get a weekend because of them and all the rest of it, um, but that brings me to the fact that that the boss is a Jewish too, so that's quite scary, isn't it? That I mean, the people who are holding all the cards, taking all the money, and locking the fire escapes because that's what we're talking about are, are yeah. both the but the Jewish bosses and there's this shocking scene where they they actually bring their little daughters to walk through the garment factory in their pretty frocks. It's very interesting because I could see everything. And that's just reading it on the page, you know. So that's I, wonderful. Yeah, good job. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, that's a very important part of the story. I think I'm not interested in my work in in telling stories of good guys and bad guys in, in terms of like us versus them. Like I, I, I think that what's really interesting is the way that um, cultural groups interact with themselves. So I think Jews and rightfully so pride ourselves on being very supportive of each other. And, and, Mm. you know, everybody brought somebody over from the old country, but there are these other stories on the other side of it, of exploitation of our Mm. own peoples and other people, of course. So um, I think that it's, it's important for us to remember, especially in such a a volatile climate politically and in the world that we're in right now is that we have a responsibility to each other and to those who are less fortunate based on our own experiences that that sometimes we forget and i think that the the correlation of blanket harris who were the owners of the triangle shirt factory um not helping their own by locking them in and not having safety um, regulations met it's similar to the way that some Jews, not all, but some of us are rejecting the Syrians and the people in need right now and don't want immigration or, or in, in America are trying to, you know, deport Muslims and don't recognize the hate speech coming from Donald Trump as very reminiscent of Hitler. Mm. So 
I think, and I and I deal with this. I mean, a majority of, of, of Jewish people in the, in the United States are liberal and vote Democrat and always have, but there's always some, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm hoping that there's going to be a correlation for people in their minds when they see that um, it wasn't that we came here and were abused by others. We were often abused by our own mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Well, I, as I said, that was very telling to me as well. So your two central women, Rosa, Rosa and Manya, did they sort of leap fully fledged? into your mind? I mean, they're not real names. You made those two up, didn't you? They're coupled mm. together. Um, Rosa, especially, is a character that I often write. She's based on me. Okay. <laughs> and Anne Frank. And, um, okay. And all of the other amazing mm. women who have ins- my mother and inspired me over the years. And um, No, I mean, she's a character that uh, that is familiar to me in that she's like a, a really ambitious, strong-headed woman who is not content to settle for what the world is offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that that story never gets old because it's we are asked constantly as women, maybe some men too, but I think more so as women, to accept what the world is offering and not make a lot of noise. And I think for me, that's always been incredibly frustrating. And I think that for a lot of women, it has mm-hmm. been. And so that's often who I choose throughout history to talk about. Um, Manya is more the, I know, I describe her as the heart of the story and the poet, and she's a little bit softer. She's a little bit more of the wallflower, but she sees the bigger picture of life, which is why she has that big moment in the end, um, where she sees things a little bit more in context of what it means to be alive, as opposed to like facing the struggles Mm. day to day. And so I think that we all sort of endeavor to be a little bit of both of them. But yeah, I think like, they did come to me fully formed. Their relationship evolved and how they related to each other sort of as a necessity dramaturgically in the script sort of evolved and how their their main sort of contention of who gets to tell the story and what mm. parts to include became emerged from what the different things they wanted. Um, but I do I do think that they're familiar characters for me and I think that they'll be familiar to the audience too. Mm. But in, not in a boring way but in a way it's like oh I know this person this person's in my life yeah I think I'm very taken and it's very clever you've got this very good balance because you give Manya she she goes into huge detail about the future she should have had and it's heartrending and that's a really beautiful thing that you've, you've come up with there uh, you know, it's quite a major speech. And for a minute, you think, oh, maybe she's going to get away. And then you realise that this is not going to happen. And I'm, yeah. again, I don't think I'm giving anything away. But then I think it is beautiful that, that the other, Clara does get to be 90-something. And, and all yeah. that. So you have got, you know, one, one real person. But it, as I said, it's very vivid. You must have researched very carefully the horror of what it would be like in the factory. The Actually, the the sheer awful grinding horror of the, their working days, what it would look like with these paper platens floating overhead and all that. So first of all, we've got all that, that sort of grinding, awful work that they're doing day in and day out, the exhaustion and the pain. And then, obviously, this disaster at the end. So that that's part of the research, presumably. Oh, yeah, I was what's the word, enveloped <laughs> in this story. And, uh, and you know, my greatest fear has always been fire. Mm. And five years ago, my house burned down. <gasps> so, yeah, I wasn't there, but I was in Mexico on vacation. Just and I well. got back and 
building was gone. Oh. Um, and it's always been my greatest fear. So the fact that it happened, it's like, it's very strange, but because um, it's a very unusual thing to happen. But I did a lot of research. I read a lot of books. Um, I watched a lot of whatever I could get my hands on visually. And then I did intuit a lot of the emotion, obviously. Mm. Um, there isn't a lot of specific individual people which I talk about in the play like how there wasn't a lot of because these people a lot of these people couldn't write or read or mm. write or they certainly didn't have time to and no one was recording the lives of the poor except for very few there was there were photographers and certain people Jacob mm. Reese was very involved so a lot of it had to be sort of but there was like a general understanding of what happened and historically so um that's why the characters are made up but I did I read a lot and I'm used to it now I've done it a few times with the holocaust and other mm. periods, difficult time periods, but it's very hard to immerse yourself emotionally and creatively in those time periods. And I, I have to say, I'm continually and daily grateful to have been born where I am, <laughs> how I am. And I'm, you know, I mean, not everybody's as lucky. It's just a lottery. So then I'm privileged to take time to reflect on what it means to be born into a difficult situation because I really wasn't. But it is eye-opening and you think not a lot has changed. It's it's like that a lot in a lot of places in the world. You've done quite a lot of Jewish work, haven't you? I mean, there's the Anne Frank play, for example. Yeah. Tell me about your own Judaism, you know, whether it's just cultural or religious and why it feeds so much into your work. Um, I grew up as a conservative Jewish movement. I went to Jewish day school. And then as I got older, I, I sort of moved away from the um, religious part of it. And I'm, I'm deeply involved culturally, I would say, or I associate myself deeply culturally. Uh, I'm not, or I'm not a religious person. What most interests me about Judaism and Jewish culture are, of course, the stories, which is central to every probably religion and culture, but it's the one I'm most familiar with. And I just, there were certain things that resonated with me so strongly from the time that I was a child. So I have a play about the golem and I have a play about mm. Anne Frank and, and then my mother died um, 13 years ago. And so there's, a, I have a play about sort of the, the post Jewish mother death. Mm. <laughs> and a lot of my work is um, sort of culturally Jewish I have other stuff too. So it's not the only thing I do, but I do get drawn into it a lot because I think there's a lot of very interesting stories. It's a, it's often a story of oppression and, um, or resilience. And I think that it's a personal story, which I think people really respond to when you talk personally about, um, your experience, even though that I wasn't obviously alive or in the triangle shirtwaist factory fire, I feel very personally connected to the history of it. And I think that it often is, serves as a microcosm for, for larger cultural issues and societal issues. I think, um, I have a play about a, a recent play about refugees, but it's a World War II play where they're uh, rescuing children from Vienna. And I think that it it resonates now because um, I think it's easy to separate ourselves from from people who either look different from us or are geographically far away. The way that it's easy to separate ourselves from you know refugees from Syria or any place that people are is trying to escape. But for people. When we look back at World War II, with hindsight, we always say, oh, well, it's so obvious what we should have done or what should have happened. So I think that by telling older stories um, of Jews who are very familiar in our countries, um, my hope is that people will relate it to the issues that are facing us today. Just quickly, also, um, you perform as well. You've got these these one-woman plays are ones that you perform. Is that comedy or what? Yes, it would probably be Bill's comedy. My work, not so much The Great Divide, but my work, you get through 75% of the play and it's very funny and then it 
punches you in the face <laughs> with sadness, but in a good way. But uh, yeah, I performed as a solo performer for years. How I met my husband, he was also a solo performer, and we to- I toured my shows for years. I love that. I love that art form. It's very difficult. You really have to write your face off and perform it really well. <laughs> but um, I've sort of taken a break from performing right now. I'm focusing on the playwriting, but. I also worked as an actor for hire for many years. I did musical theater and all kinds of stuff. So um, someday I'd like to love to get back on stage, but um, I'm really focused on being behind the scenes right now. 